Come on in. Good morning. Welcome. Welcome. What's up with this middle row or these middle sections here? Right. Looks a little uh, va- a little sparse right there. Oh, they're they're coming back. Good, good, good. You know, we were talking about baptisms earlier. Jeremy was talking about that. We had like every week, like yesterday, two, I think two more people were baptized yesterday. Is that right? Two more. So every week, uh, people are getting baptized, and so I, I just, that just speaks to a move of God that is organic and sweet and powerful. And uh, and I got a text yesterday, and my buddy said, "Hey, I got baptized." I'm like, "Dude, I wanted to be there." <laughs> Anyway, so it's too many things going on. I can't be at all of it, but I just want to. It's, it's uh, just powerful. So anyway, pray for those who are getting baptized. Every, it seems like every week we're getting baptized, people baptized, and it's just a powerful thing. Hey, we're in Daniel 12. Wrapping up Daniel 12. <laughs> wrapping up Daniel. Yeah, wrapping up. And then next week, Lord willing, is our study begins in the Revelation, Lord willing, because we've been saying that for a long, long time. And it seems like things keep interrupting the study of Revelation, but I don't think it's going to be interrupted this time. We're going to jump into Revelation chapter 1 next week and uh, wrapping up Daniel 12 this week. And uh, so it's been, it's been a good study. We're actually supposed to uh, start Revelation, and then I went on a little break, and the guys like said, hey, can we teach the Revelation? I said, no, I want to teach. And they said, what do you want us to do? I said, whatever you want to do, just teach from the Bible. And uh, so they said, what about Daniel? I said, no, Daniel's perfect. It's like a perfect little segue into Revelation. And so those guys kicked it off, and we've been teaching uh, through Daniel. It's been really, really fun. Um, Let's pray. Lord, as we teach through Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us. It's regarding Israel in a large way, Lord God. Primarily, it's about Israel. And so even as Israel is at war right now. We just as has been pray, Lord, pray that you watch over those people. You have been trying to get their attention since the beginning. <laughs> so, Lord, I pray that you would get their attention. And this just it speaks to your heart, Lord, that just desires for people to come to faith in you. And so I can think about people in my family and people in my life that you've been pursuing all of their lives, Lord God. And we can all identify people like that in our lives, people that you've been pursuing, uh, going after. And so we pray, God, for um, a fruitful end to that endeavor, Lord God, that people in our families would get saved in Jesus' name, that people in our neighborhoods, places of employment, our friends, uh, people that we've known God would begin to get saved in Jesus' name. And, and I won't even say begin, because I think it's already happening, Lord God. So we pray, God, that that would continue to happen in Jesus' name. So, amen. So real quick, before we get into Daniel 12, <clears throat> don't give up <laughs> praying for your loved ones. You are, you've got purpose in the earth, if nothing else, but to pray for your loved ones. Years ago, I was just having this conversation again yesterday, but years ago, there was this sweet Older gal in our church, uh, Frida Maroney, she went by Granny because she was older than everybody else, and everybody else just loved to refer to her as Granny. So she was in an old folks' home in Santa Maria because she needed full-time care, and I would visit her, and she'd say, why am I still here? (laughs) She's like, I am so over this life, you know, like I'm confined to this room, to this bed. 
I can't do anything. I, she, she, would, she was so perplexed as to why she was still here. I said, well, Granny, you've only, you're only here because you've got purpose left in the earth. And so take this time and pray for, your, for future generations and watch what the Lord will do. And so I said, when, when your assignment is over, God will take you home. And sure enough, it was years later, but the Lord finally took her home. We have an assignment to see as many people in the earth come to faith as possible. And so that is your job we are here as believers. If you're here as a believer, you're here because somebody else prayed for you. you. Somebody prayed for you. And by God's grace, you heard, you had ears to hear, and you came into the family of God. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, you're here because somebody's prayed for you and encouraged you and invited you in. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus yet, give your life to Jesus. This is, this is what you do. You say, Jesus, I give my life to you. I recognize my need for your grace and for your kindness, for your forgiveness. I invite you in. And just invite the presence and the power of the living God into your life. That, that declaration, that commitment, that those words that you speak will, 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 will trigger something, and it's eternal. It triggers the grace of God and the power of God, and, and it triggers your adoption into the family of God. There's something wonderful and supernatural and powerful when we just will stop pursuing everything that this world has to offer and start pursuing everything that God has to offer. So if that's you here today, normally this is like the end of the message, right? Like, now we're kicking it off with this. Like, give your life to Jesus. And if you've been distant from Jesus, and if you've been wandering from Jesus, and if you've been uh, anything but 100% going after him, it's time to revisit who you are in Jesus. It's not a, it's not a, one foot in, one foot out scenario. That, that is not okay. It's not acceptable. Give your whole life to Jesus and watch what he will do to redeem your life and to change your mind about all of the things that you're perplexed about and confused by. As we get into Daniel chapter 12, wrapping up this powerful prophetic book that we've been studying we're going to see that God has always been on the move and his end game is to see people redeemed, to see people born again, finding new life in Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what it's all about. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what the cross is all about. It's all about people finding new life in Jesus all right, we got a long message today, so let's get into Daniel chapter 12. Let's go ahead and stand up as we read the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter 12. <clears throat> it's only about 13 verses, so this is the word of the Lord, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge over a charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt." 
And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, how long, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked, the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offerings is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest, and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. The word of the Lord, Daniel 12. You may be seated. What does all of this mean? <laughs> what does it all mean? Daniel 12 is describing the tribulation period. Daniel 11 was describing the tribulation period and the rise and the fall of the Antichrist. The Antichrist comes on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation period and is taken down at the second coming, the second advent of Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 describes this event. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like flames of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of 
lords. <laughs> the title of the message today is you need to make sure you're on the right team. You need to make sure you're on the right team. At the end of Revelation 19, at the beginning of Revelation 20, shows what happens to the Antichrist, the false prophet, and Satan himself. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Satan is thrown into a pit for a thousand years. And after the millennial reign of Christ on the earth, Satan is released to deceive the nations once again, but he again will be conquered. He will be conquered at that time and will be thrown into the lake of fire where the beast and false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever, amen. So this is the end of the Antichrist, the false prophet and Satan himself. They will be thrown into the lake of fire and tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. Jesus' first coming was in humiliation on a colt. But John's vision, <laughs> John's vi when we think about Jesus, sometimes we still think he's that, that little infant in the manger scene that we celebrate at Christmas, that he's the humble servant riding into Jerusalem to go to the cross for us. That is not Jesus' any longer. John's vision of Jesus declares properly who it is that we worship. John's vision portrays him as the conqueror on his war horse coming to destroy the wicked, to overthrow the Antichrist, to defeat Satan, and to take control of the earth. <laughs> Why do you need to make sure that you're on the right team? Why? You need to make sure that you're on the, on the right team because the great white throne judgment is coming. God has been so gracious in this church age. He has been so patient in this church age. He has been longing for and wanting the, the people in the world to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we've had a season, a time, and that season and time continues where we can say yes, to Jesus, where we can receive the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a time coming when that day will be no more. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 um, speaks of the judgment before the great white throne. Revelation 20, 11 through 15 says, then I saw a great white throne. You don't want anything to do with the great white throne. I'm just telling you, you don't. And as believers, we won't have anything to do with the great white throne. But if you're here and you're not a believer, if you've got friends or family, people in your life who are not believers, they've got everything to fear when thinking about the great white throne judgment. Then I saw Revelation 20, 11 through 15, a great white throne and him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were open. We've talked about this before, but every person that's ever lived in the earth has a book with their name on it. And recorded in that book is what they have done with their life and the decisions that they have made. These books will be opened 
for the dead, who, for those who don't know Jesus, especially at the great white throne. We'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ here in a moment. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. We're going to be judged according to what we have done because we live out what we believe. If we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, the Savior of the world, then our lives will properly reflect that. If we are just offering lip service to that belief, then our lives will reflect that. If we refuse to believe and put our trust in that uh, information and revelation about Jesus, then our lives will reflect that. We are saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, but we demonstrate that we've really believed and have been born again by how we live our lives. Make no mistake, if your life is not reflecting what you say you believe about Jesus, you have not been born again. You cannot put your faith in Jesus and not have your life radically transformed. It is a lifelong process of sanctification, but if your life has not been transformed or is not being transformed because of your confession of faith in Jesus Christ, then hear me when I tell you, you have not been born again. You have signed up for something other than the life-changing, born-again experience that God has made available to you at the cross. Jesus did not go to the cross so that you could say yes to him and offering lip service and then go back and live like a person of hell. You cannot do that, that is not the gospel. The gospel means I give my life to Jesus and my life is completely and radically and forever is radically transformed. That is the gospel. The gospel isn't I'm going to say yes to Jesus to get fire insurance so that somehow I might miss the great white throne judgment. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus dying for you and for me so that we might be born again saved and sanctified by the power, the, the constant working power of the Holy Spirit and the word in our lives. That is the gospel. I don't care what you hear on television or what you hear in, with, from anybody, any other pastor's mouth. If you read the Old Testament and if you read the New Testament, you see the life transformational power of the gospel changing people's lives. So listen, if you're here today and you think you've given your life to Jesus, but you're not seeing transformation, I'm gonna challenge, have you given your life to Jesus or have you just decided I want to be involved in church and I want some blessings from God and so I'm going to go through the motions? God will see through every one of those false attempts at Christianity. He sees right through it and he doesn't just see right through it because he's, angry about something, he sees right through it because you've completely missed the work of God that has been made available to us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, where once we were blind and now we see we were dead, but now we are alive. We were without purpose, real, meaningful, life-changing, eternal purpose. But now in Christ, I've got real 
meaningful, uh, eternal, life-changing purpose. We demonstrate that we've really believed and have been born again by how we live. None of us will be perfect, but man, there has gotta be a process. There's gotta be a transformational process whereby we are being sanctified, called out of the world, different from the world. There has gotta be a process at work in our lives, and if that process is not at work in our lives, then we have not been born again. That's the reality of the gospel. My hands are clean when I stand before the Lord. Each of you know what you do with it is completely up to you. But I cannot preach God's word and stand in the pulpit and, and soft pedal the gospel. It's not a soft pedaled gospel that saved my life. I say it all the time, if I weren't born again by the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that I'd be dead, because I would have killed myself. I was miserable. In fact, even as a believer in Jesus Christ, it took me forever to stop being miserable because it took God working in my life to sanctify me and transform my thinking and the way that I was living my life. I got saved and born again, but man, it's been a process whereby God has been changing my mind for the last 40 years. He's been transforming the way I think about life. I would be dead or addicted because I would be running to anything and everything to find some level of peace, some level of joy, some level of satisfaction. I'd be looking to everything, but to the one person, the one thing that can bring those things to my life, be dead, addicted, or in prison, because I would have killed somebody because of the rage that was in my heart it would have been over for me and for whoever got in my way because I was broken. And maybe that's not your case. Maybe you've got a different perspective on life and you're actually a pretty good person. Um, and you've you know, obeyed the rules and, and you've been a kind-hearted person all the days of your life. And there are legitimately people out there who are just kind-hearted and tender and gracious. But that will never ever save you. Your kindness will never save you. It's a, a humble recognition of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and welcoming his life-changing power into your life. That will save you. We demonstrate that we've really believed and have been born again by what and how we live. Revelation 20 continues, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone, listen, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So your choice, you can be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan, the false prophet, the antichrist, and you can spend all eternity with them or you can give your life to Jesus. You get to decide, but you must choose which team you're on. And if you are undecided, you are on Team Satan. Just no, no other way to say it. There's no middle ground. You are God's team or Satan's team. In Daniel 12, 1, a warning and a promise is given. The warning had to do with a time of suffering for Israel during the tribulation period says there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. 
there's, there's in the tribulation period, in that seven-year period, in the beginning, everything's going to seem good and great for Israel because the Antichrist is going to make promises, a new temple will be built, and they will seem like they're on a glorious high. But we can never put our faith in the Antichrist, in any demonic minions that, that Satan throws out there. Why? Because Satan is a liar, and he is a father of lies. Israel has been at war since the beginning. Israel is at war today, as has been talked about. The news read this morning, Israel formally declares war with Hamas as battle continues. Death tolls sore. And the U.S. wants to know why their iron dorm failed them. The U.S. is wondering why the iron... Listen, if we're looking to, let Israel be our example, if we're looking to anything else but the living God for our source and protection and for our help, those things will always fall short. They will always uh, fail to protect us the way that God desires to protect us. God will make sure they fail so that we indeed turn our attention and put our faith in him. So whatever you're putting your hope in, ah, I promise you those things will fail. They will fail you. If they haven't failed you yet, they will fail you. Whether it's resource, money, people, positions of power, those things will fail you if indeed your faith is in those things to protect you moving forward. Do not put your faith in anything but the finished work and the powerful ability of God to protect you. Israel's history has been riddled with war and they continue to go back to a place of idolatry. The end, it will be worse than ever. It will be the final wake-up call for Israel and for the, the rest of the unbelieving world. Daniel 12, 1 begins to describe the second half of the tribulation period, the last half, the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. It was going to be, it, it's going to be terrible. We'll, we'll unpack that as we study the book of Revelation. This is when the last half Halfway through the tribulation periods when the Antichrist breaks his covenant with Israel, seizes the temple and sets himself up as the world dictator and God, small g, God. This is the abomination of desolation that Daniel wrote about in Daniel 9.27. This will unfold in human history and I have a feeling that's not too far off. Daniel 9.27 says this, and he shall make a strong, the Antichrist, he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. That's seven years. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to, the second half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifices and offerings. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. In the beginning of the seven years, the Antichrist will be loved by Israel. Three and a half years into those seven years, he breaks his covenant with Israel. So the last three and a half years will be devastating for those in Israel and for those in the earth. Are we surprised that the Antichrist breaks his covenant? Are we surprised by that? The enemy will always break his covenant with you. 
He will make promises that he has no power and no intention to fulfill. The enemy is a liar and the father of lies. Going back to Moses, Moses warned uh, Israel of what was coming in Deuteronomy 4, 30 through 31. Moses wrote, when you are in tribulation to the people of God, when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So all of these terrible things will be happening and Israel will respond, not a blanket statement about all of Israel, but people of the, uh, of the nation of Israel will begin to recognize and, and give their lives to Jesus. You will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice for the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that he swore to them. So Moses warned the people of God. Jeremiah warned the people of God. When I say the people of God in this context, I mean Israel. For whatever reason, God chose Israel. And for whatever reason, he continues to choose Israel. For whatever reason, God chose me and you. <laughs> and for whatever reason, God continues to choose you and me. But we are not, if we're not Jewish, then we are not Israel. There's a distinction. Jeremiah warned, Moses warned his people in a passage known as the, Jeremiah warned his people in a passage known as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7, alas, the day is so great, there is none like it. It's a time of distress for Jacob, yet ye shall be saved out of it. Again, a remnant of the people of God will turn their lives and give themselves over to Jesus. Jesus warned, Jesus warned of this time of trouble in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, 15 through 22. So when you see the abomination of desolation, listen, God's really good at warning over and over and over again. And I know because it's been true in my life that he has warned over and over and over again. And I know it's true in this world today, in your life and in the world that we live, that God is warning over and over and over again, trying to get our attention. Jesus did it in Matthew 24. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then, let those, this, is, this is how terrible it will be. Then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for the woman, the women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that your flight may not be in winter or on Sabbath, for then there will be a great tribulation. Such, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not, listen, if those days had not been cut short, speaking futuristically, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. How will the tribulation be cut short? It will be cut short 
at the return, not the rapture, but the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll study more about this as we study Revelation chapter 6 through 19. So this is the warning written of in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. There's also a promise. The promise of Daniel 12, 1 is that Michael, the archangel, will battle on behalf of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, you see that Michael is the archangel in charge of protecting Israel, the people of God. Michael is a warrior angel, similar to Satan. I think it's helpful to think of Satan and Michael as being on the same level. Satan is a fallen angel. Uh, sometimes we, we think that the opposite of Jesus would be Satan. <laughs> no. <laughs> Satan, as I said last week, is a, is a fallen angel who is on a leash. Jesus he is the creator, the all-powerful, the sustainer of all things. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. The opposite of Satan is not Jesus. The opposite of Jesus is not Satan. Satan is a created being who is on a leash, who is doing what he's doing for a moment, for a time, until he is cast into the lake of fire. The opposite of Satan is probably the Michael the archangel, both warrior angels. In Jude 1, Michael and Satan contended for Moses' body. In Jude 1, 9, it says, but when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You know the difference between Michael and Satan? <laughs> Michael is a powerful, yet he is humble in his estimation of himself. Satan, on the other hand, the reason that he got himself into trouble and continues to get himself into trouble all of these years, he was a powerful, continues to be powerful angel, but he is arrogant. I will be like the most high God. There is no place for arrogance in the kingdom of God. There is absolutely zero place for arrogance within the family of God. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So anytime you begin to sense or feel a little bit of arrogance in your soul and in your life, squash that thing. Do not allow it to raise its ugly head. It will be your end if you allow arrogance and pride to continue to be present in your life. God opposes the proud. You, don't, you do not want God opposing you. You want God for you. He is for you. He is for you. This we were the generations. He is for you. But you must be humble. You must be grateful. You must keep a proper perspective of who you are in the world and in the kingdom. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. We keep reading about God's faithfulness to his people, Israel. They continue to fall and struggle and be guilty of idolatry going back to the beginning, but God is faithful. Michael is part of that faithfulness of God. Michael has been dispatched. He's the archangel over Israel, and he's part of God's plan to protect Israel and bring them to a place of repentance. Just because they're called in the old covenant, the people of God, and that is true in the new covenant, they are saved the same way that you and I are saved. 
not because God has declared them to be the people of God, but because they have decided by the grace of God to trust the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So when we read that all Israel will be saved, we know that that's not speaking of all Israel because Israel isn't saved because for any other reason than the same reason that we've been saved by the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're a Jew and you've not put your faith in Jesus, your part in eternity will be in the lake of fire, which burns forever and ever. Amen. Just like it will be for a Gentile, a non-Jew. We must put our faith in Jesus. True in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament. God will have a remnant present in the tribulation period. There will be a time of awakening for a lot of Jews, not all Jews, but a lot of them, they'll recognize what has been written in the scriptures and they'll begin to uh, give their, their, their lives to Jesus. They'll recognize that as he is the Messiah and that he is the Lord. They'll repent and have their names because they've repented. Their names will be recorded in the book of life, just like with you and me. If we repent, when we repent, our names are recorded in the book of life. Do you remember what we read in Deuteronomy 4.30? Deuteronomy 4.30, and when you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. That was Moses writing to the nation of Israel. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So there'll be a number of Jews who turn and trust Jesus during their suffering. Daniel 12, 2 talks about a resurrection and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So that's true now and it's true in the tribulation period. There are actually two separate resurrections according to Revelation 20. The first resurrection will be those who believed and died they will be resurrected and will reign with Christ for a thousand years. Revelation 20 verses four and five. We'll be, we'll be teaching through that here in about five years. <laughs> it's gonna take a while to get through it. What do you think, Curtis? About four, three? Seven years? Okay, seven years. Curtis, we're gonna slowly get through that. The rest of the dead do not come to life until the thousand-year reign is, of, uh, has ended. So after the millennial reign of Christ, where Jesus will reign in the earth for a thousand years. Imagine this, the, the reign, the perfect reign of the perfect God in the earth. And the church will, will get to reign and rule with him for a thousand years. But imagine under the perfect reign of a perfect God that people will still choose not to follow him. It's, it's, I just, I'm bewildered by that. I think about Lucifer himself, created by God for great beauty and great purpose, and he chose to rebel. You have been created by God for great beauty and for great purpose. Please, let's, as the church of God, let's not rebel. As people created for beauty and purpose, let's turn our attention to the Lord constantly. At that time, those who are the unbelieving dead are raised to stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Again, read about that, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Daniel 12, 3 says, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. All right, so those who are believers. And this, this has got application now and in the tribulation period. Those who 
get saved and realize that they've got a purpose during that period. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Amen. Daniel 12.3 lets us know how we live and serve will determine our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Isn't that interesting? So we're saved by grace, but how we live will determine our rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. Believers will not be at the great white throne judgment, but believers will stand before the Lord, before the judgment seat of Christ, and give an account for our lives. You will give an account for your lives. There is a book that will be opened, and that book has your name on it. It's not your Christian grandmother's name. It's not your pastor grandfather's name. It's your name. You will stand alone before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for your life. And you cannot, you cannot hope in the merits and put your trust in the merits of your genealogy, your, your family uh, that have gone before you. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all be appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So the Bible talks about those who are saved but, will, but have wasted their life. And they're, they're going to get heaven, but as if passing through fire, they're, 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 they're going to have smoke coming off them. It's like they're saved just barely by the skin of their teeth. They've got, they got saved, and I'm not even sure how this works. God's going to have to store all this stuff out. They get saved, but they've done nothing Again, I'm not even sure how this is all sorted out because as I read the Bible, I think, man, how can you get saved and do nothing? I, it's not a game I want to play with God. It's not a, not a not dice I want to roll with God. I, 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 if you're in, you've got to be all in. If you're out, get out. Seriously. Go let your life be jacked up and ruined by this world. And then come crawling back in because you've, you're whooped and, and realize that the world has nothing to offer but brokenness. So please, no more lukewarmness. The scripture says you will be spewed out of Jesus's mouth if you are lukewarm. So please, if you're here and you're lukewarm, either get on fire for Jesus. Give your whole life to Jesus. If you're not ready to do that, leave the church. Seriously, go into utter darkness of this world that has no hope and go get your butt kicked by this world and by the enemy who hates your guts. Go there and figure out where you stand. Figure it out because there's gonna be a time in the future where you stand before the Lord and give an account for your life. And some who think they're saved, you're actually gonna be standing before the great white throne judgment because you're not saved at all. And others who are maybe saved but are just messing around or can't figure out how to put one foot in front of the other, goodness, figure it out. Seriously, this is not meant to be harsh. This is meant to be a wake-up call. I laugh that God has me teaching the Bible. I laugh about it because if you knew my academic record all through school, you would know that I wasn't a great studier. I didn't apply myself academically like I should have and could have. 
And so I laugh when God says, well, you will study the Bible for a living and stand before people and preach. The, the, so you, if you're saying, I can't quite figure out how to put one foot in front of the other, quit trying to figure out how to put one foot in front of the other and just show up. Do what God will do. Allow God to do what he will do with your life. We, we count ourselves out because I'm not academic or I'm not smart or I'm not good looking or whatever the case may be. Listen, give your life to Jesus every day and say, God, I don't know what you're gonna do with me today, but I, man, I, I'm gonna trust you and I'm just gonna say what you want me to say and do what you want me to do. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get up and put one foot in front of the other. And so at 20 years old, I'm the chaplain of the San Luis County Jail, 20 years old. I don't even know how to, I, I don't even know how to write a, a Bible study at 20. I'm barely figuring out how to interpret scripture, but I'm, for whatever reason, put in charge of three services at the county jail every Sunday morning. And while I'm doing that, I'm the chaplain at the Arroyo Grande Care Center. And so in the afternoons, I'm over at the Arroyo Grande Care Center leading a Bible study for people who collectively speaking know more about the Bible than I will ever, ever know. And I'm teaching because, well, I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. There, quit disqualifying yourself from what God wants to do in your life. So God, by his grace, taught me what it means to apply myself academically. And so I did finally, just to put you all at ease, graduate <laughs> from college and seminary with a master's degree in theology with honors. I actually figured out what it meant to trust God, put one foot in front of the other and grow and never stop growing. Never stop, but keep moving forward. I am the last guy. We just had about a 35-year class reunion that we didn't go to. I, if you asked everybody in that class if they thought Steve Henry would succeed, they, I might get one vote <laughs> from friends of mine who saw something in the darkness of my life and saw there might be some hope there. Listen, we disqualify ourselves all the time. Quit. Your life belongs to Jesus. So it's, you, you, you just get up every day and keep trusting God, keep believing God and see what he will do with your life. We're all gonna stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. And I, I don't wanna stand up there and say, well, I didn't, didn't know how. <laughs> it's not about knowing how, it's about surrender. It's, it's about surrender. It's about surrender, surrender, surrender. We're so interested in knowing how to do things and wanting to be sure about things that we never quite step into it. When God was calling the people of Israel um, into the promised land, he, the, the, he's like, step into the water and watch what I will do. The Red Sea, step into it. The Jordan River, step into Watch what I will do. You gotta step into it. God, Moses is complaining to God because uh, millions of Israelites are running from Pharaoh and all of Egypt's armies. And what did God say? Get moving. 
<laughs> That's what God told Moses, get moving. Uh, that is what God is telling you today. Like quit playing games with God and with your faith and picking and choosing what you will and will not do for God. That is not gospel, that is not kingdom living, that is not God's design. Daniel 12, four through 13 wraps up this chapter and this book. And Daniel is told, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. What does this mean? I found a great article. It says, in the ancient Near East, important documents were closed up and sealed. The original documents was kept in a secure place, closed up to conserve the interests and rights of all parties to the transaction. In Mesopotamian cultures, these documents were clay tablets whose veracity was attested to by the cylinder seals that scribes rolled over the bottom section of the tablets. Once a document was thus sealed, it became official and unchangeable. The second tablet, the official copy, likewise was, likewise was witnessed to by seal. Listen to this. Daniel was to certify by his personal seal to the faithfulness of the foregoing text as an exact transcript of what God had communicated to him through his angel. Thus, this record would be preserved to the day when all the predictions would be fulfilled. So we kind of wrap up, I'm like 12 minutes over. 12 minutes more to go is what I like to think. I see 11.46 up there. I think that means I got 11.40.50 now to go. <laughs> Verse five, then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the bank, uh, uh, on that bank of the stream. So who are these people? These are angels who are there with Daniel. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream? How long? How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard a man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. Remember, a time is a year. Times, plural, is two years. A half a time is a half a year. So how many years is that? Three and a half years. I'll just give it to you. Three and a half years. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So the angel saying three and a half years of devastation at the second half of the tribulation period. Daniel said, I heard, but I did not understand then. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. So the Angel doesn't answer Daniel's question. <laughs> I think that's hilarious because we always want to know how this is going to unfold. And God seldom will tell us how these things will unfold. In our lives, Lord, in my life, how will this unfold? He's, we walk by faith and not by sight. How is this gonna work out, Lord? We walk by faith and not by sight. It's not a life of faith if we're not exercising faith. So the angel doesn't answer Daniel's questions. So don't be confused or perplexed when God doesn't answer your questions. Walk by faith. 
During the tribulation period, verse 10 says, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. Many will recognize what is going on in the tribulation period and give themselves to Jesus. The wicked will be clueless. Don't be the clueless wicked. The wicked will be clueless and continue in their wickedness. So it doesn't matter what's unfolding in the earth. The wicked who are bent on wickedness will continue to do wicked things. Verse 11, we're almost done. And from the time that the regular burnt offerings is taken away, halfway through, the temple has been built. There's offerings daily in the temple by Israel. Halfway through, when the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, so the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple, taking power as a dictator and small G God, little tiny G God, little itty bitty tiny G God. I hate that guy. No apology. From that time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the, 1100, or at the 1,335 days. So here, to hear the explanation of the 1,290 days, go on YouTube, because Pastor Curtis, when he unpacked Daniel chapter 9, part 2, on September 3rd, 2023, he unpacked that better than anybody I've ever heard unpack what those days mean. So if you want to know what the 1290 days means, it's just, I'm not even going to hint at it. Just go listen. September 3rd, I was sitting right there when he preached that message. I'm like, look at him go, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's my kid, right? Good job, bud. What happens during the 45 days? So there's a difference between the 1,335 days and the 1,290 days. What happens during those 45 days? Uh, it's all conjecture and guessing. Nobody really knows what's going on during that time, but we will find out. It's one of those questions that we just don't have answers for. Verse 13, the angel said, but go your way, Daniel, till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Whew. The final verse of the book and this study contains an encouraging word for the aged Daniel. You will rest. Your, your body will lie in the grave. And then at the end of days, you will rise on the day of resurrection to receive your allotted inheritance. Do you think Daniel's going to be standing before the great white throne judgment or before the judgment seat of Christ? Judgment seat of Christ. Why? It's Old Testament. The Old Testament is just looking forward to what will happen in the new covenant when Jesus comes as Messiah and dies on the cross. So people are looking forward to it. New Testament, we're looking back. We're looking back at what Jesus did trusting in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Old Testament, they know it's coming. They're putting their faith in what is coming and, 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 and the God who is making it all happen. The New, New Testament, we're looking back and saying, man, thank you, Jesus, for what was accomplished 2,000 years ago. So Daniel's gonna, he's gonna receive his reward. Why? Because he was faithful. He trusted God. 
Revelation 24, 20 verse 4 speaks of thrones on which were seated those who had given authority to judge, that in um, speaking of those who have died and have been martyred for their faith, Daniel will be among those who will be reigning and ruling with the Lord forever and ever. Amen. He wasn't living for life then. He was living for life eternal. You need to make sure that you're on the right team. Three final points in three final moments. Number one, trust Jesus to forgive your sins. This is how you make sure that you're on the right team. Number two, trust Jesus to give you a new life. This is transformation. This is sanctification. This is a new life, a born-again experience in Christ Jesus. And number three, trust Jesus for the rest of your life. This is a declaration of dependence on God for the rest of your life. This is why people get baptized publicly because they're saying publicly before the world, I am now a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and I will be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ for the rest of my life. I will follow Jesus. I will finish well by his grace and in his strength. You need to make sure that you're on the right team. Let's go ahead and stand up and invite the worship team forward. Lord, some of us needed to hear that message today. Um, I think all of us needed to hear that message today, whether for ourselves or for someone else. Lord, if it's for ourselves, I pray in Jesus' name that we would bow our knee before you and stop playing games. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your patience with us, Lord. Help us to give our full heart to you. And so as we worship, give your life to Jesus, your whole life to Jesus. And if you're doing that today, uh, you can go back to the info center and there's a bag back there with a Bible and information that will help you in your walk with Jesus. But please give your life to Jesus and then let somebody else know that you've given your life to Jesus and then get yourself baptized in a body of water where publicly you can declare to the world that you have given your life to Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.